Happy New Year to you guys. It's great to see you guys again. I love the wonderful intro there about my message topics this week as Eric warmed it up. <clears throat> actually, uh, after uh, that lackluster response, I was like, I actually uh, called in Ashley. She and I work together. It's like, I need a lame meter test. It's like, here's what I'm thinking. I got like a so-so response. It's like, I need you to tell me if this is lame or not. And so uh, she's like, no, I don't think it's lame. And I'm like, I went through a couple, the one I was planning to do. I was like, yeah, I was going to maybe share, um, you know, kind of the word I thought for this year, but I was like, I'm not, it doesn't make sense to me right now. She's like, oh, well, you know, I actually just like listened to last year and like, you know, you've done this kind of thing where you share like the word of the year. I was like, ah, well, it doesn't make sense to me. So I was like, I'm just going to proceed on, which the other message is good, by the way. So, um, but the message didn't, the word that I was receiving didn't make a whole lot of sense. And so I thought, well, I'm just not making very much sense in what I'm hearing from God. And so um, I'm going to share kind of how it does make sense, and I'm going to share that story. But in order to do that, I kind of need to give you a little history lesson here. This is our eighth year as a ministry. Just crazy. Crazy. And Eugene's here, which is all the better now. Awesome. Eighth year. Was anybody, so I didn't know that Dale was going to say the things he said tonight. They're going to come into handy real quick. But who is here eight years ago? A few. Right. So the story is, so I, I uh, have a software business. I'm in the professional industry of making software. And I was uh, at an event here at church, my wife and I, this is 2006, 2007. And the senior pastor's like, hey, we want to do something for young adults and college age people. Would, would you guys consider doing something? And my wife practically laughed him off his chair. He's like, you've got to be kidding no way. And uh, then I got called into a meeting and like, hey, we want to do this young adult ministry group. Would you consider running? It's like, I don't have a credential to my name to do anything. No. Do you know anybody? I gave them like three names. They couldn't figure out someone for there. I got a second meeting. Hey, we're, we're going to facilitate, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to still do this ministry, but we want you to facilitate. Would you be the host? Would you do these different things? I don't know. Could you do the website and the logo? I can do that. <laughs> so I got roped in to do the logo, the website, the branding, and what their aim was to do was to go after the postmodern 20-somethings, you know, the people who are always looking like they're depressed and wrestling with some internal issue, <laughs> thinking about deep, pondering issues. And we want to go after the postmodern generation that's really questioning the existence of God. It's like, all right, cool. Like, I took apologetics class sometime. I could help open the microphone and, you know, we're going to do these different things. And so, great. And so, that was called Identic. <laughs> identic back in the day. And unfortunately, the screen's broke because I brought screenshots of, like, the website back then. It's like this blast from the past. And so, this is 2008, January of 2008. And we started. Now, just to give you perspective on how long we've been doing this, the average tenure for someone who's in ministry for either high school or college, the, the time they're in ministry is 18 months. And the average ministry lasts two years. So we're like breaking all kinds of records. So we started this ministry called Identic, and we tried everything in our power to get people to come. We were like new and like we had to get the word out and get people coming. So we were 
aiming for people to wrestle with the deep question issues and our promotion was like questioning our identity. And that's where like uh, the name came is like identity and authentic, identic, okay? For those who've never known that. No one came. It was tough. Like I think half the people our first few nights were actually paid to be there. It was like all the church staff is like, they're like, where I'm supposed to be here, you know? trying to boost it, get people to come, and like a new person would come in, you just like attack the guy, like, hey, I want to be your best friend, you know. <laughs> it was not going well. So we thought, well, we need a lot of promotion. We need to like help get the word out. We need to attract them. And so every week we do something new and grand. About every week we host a barbecue outside, and we would do these different activities and um, different sports, ultimate frisbee, basketball, you name it. We did egg tosses. We did cr- things. Not squid yet. Hold on. Don't give it away. And uh, we would also do like indoor surfing and we'd go down to Elk Grove where they had this little place that you would get on this little board and you would get the worst whiplash of your life. Like I still have back problems from that thing. So we did all these different things to like bring attractions to what we're doing in ministry. And the results, meh, it's okay. People would show up, but they wouldn't connect. Now at that time, remember, I'm like just helping and the senior leadership is kind of getting a little like burnt out. It's like it's not going the way we want it to go. And so we thought about, well, maybe just, you know, shut it down. I was like, well, why don't I give it like a try? I've never preached a message in my life, but I'll give it a shot. I mean, it can't get any worse than this. <laughs> Until I preached. And then it got worse. <laughs> it was, I'm pretty sure it was heresy my first night preaching. <laughs> and I wanted to crawl into a hole. I think I swore to myself, I'm never doing that again. And somehow I found myself up there the next week and the next week and the next week. And for about a year, <laughs> I wanted to just crawl after the service every single week. I'm like, I, I, I need to go to school for this. I don't know what I'm doing. And so what happened in that transition when it kind of moved to me is like, well, I don't believe this whole postmodern thing. Like, no one wants to keep debating the existence of God. Either, like, your, your decision's kind of settled, really. It's like these wrestling issues I don't think people care about. But why don't we try and get people to live in Jesus, why don't we just focus on John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Why don't we focus on that? Epic life. What does it mean to like not just survive, but thrive? Jesus says you're going to have a radically amazing life in him. Why don't we chase and see what that means? And so we took this turn towards Jesus, but we didn't necessarily abandon our gimmicks. In fact, the gimmicks got even grander and bigger because we're called Epic Life now. And if we weren't going over the top before, we certainly were now. Now we have mountain bike race teams every week. We did skydiving, which I got in big trouble for. We did motocross ride days. We did launch ramps into lakes, which we lost our GoPro in the lake that day. Dang it. We did 200-foot slip and slides. We do crazy things. The craziest thing is that we would, for whatever reason, I thought this would be really fun, we'd send people onto the outfield, this baseball diamond, they were holding gigantic garbage bags, and then three other people about 100 feet away with a dead squid and a huge slingshot. And you'd like fire this like squid into the outfield, and it's like its tentacles are like doing this all the way. People are like running, trying to catch it, you know. 
getting hit by squid juice. It's amazing. I thought it was fun. People thought it was disgusting. We regularly would host concerts, like seated, ticketed concerts here. Big band. We were trying to go all the way to the top. We also thought, well, hey, we need to go after the influencers. Because the influencers, those are the people who are going to attract other people. If you can get in with the people who have a voice, who've got you know, position and influence, then all the other people are going to come because you've legitimized your community. So heaven forbid if you walk with a pair of diesel jeans because we were on you. We're like, hey, let's be friends. We totally went after the people who we thought were going to make up a great community that would attract others. Now, it sounds terrible now, but at the time, it sounded really cutting edge in marketing 2.0. Our attendance? Meh. About half of what this room is right now. So this is about two and a half years now into this ministry. And then one day in 2011, God revealed something in such clear terms, I will never forget it. He said, what you draw people with is what you draw them to. What you draw people with is what you draw them to. We're using all these gimmicks, all this food, these performers, these flying squids, and no one's being drawn to Jesus. You're attracting them with entertainment. When, when, the, when the entertainment stops, the attendance drops. We found that we built this entire community around being entertained. And so what happened is when God revealed that in those clear terms, I came right, I was sitting over there, I came up, and it was, a, it was a, one of our larger nights because we had a big concert. And I got up and I, I went before our community and I repented. I said, we've made our community about being entertained. And I gave that same line that what you draw people with is what you draw them to. And I said that we need to be a community that actually seeks God, that cultivates deep relationship with Jesus. And we declare that our ministry from that night forward would be about seeking God's face and not seeking events, not seeking to be entertained, but seeking God's presence. And the very next week, crowds lined up, filled this place. We had the greatest outpouring of God we've ever, ever seen. That's what I wish I could say. <laughs> we were dropped like a bad habit on New Year's Day. I mean, the, the ministry just like vaporized. Just what it was like in this room okay we would we went from having you know a good group of people down to about 15 to 25 people in one week now fortunately you know i, I do this for fun but if, if i was being paid to do this if this was like my job i'd be like the heck with this <laughs> there's no way you cannot survive that drastic drop and continue to do what you're doing. So our ministry was essentially abandoned, and all the cool people went with it too, even better. The influencers...
<laughs> I think you guys are having dating drama at that time. You didn't even count, so. <laughs> Same with Mike and Ashley. I remember there's like prayer meetings against Mike and Ashley. It was amazing. <laughs> Anyways, so. So there's like 15 to 20 of us. Mostly not the cool people, though there is a couple. And you know, these people, these people wanted Jesus. These people wanted Jesus. They're like, you know what? That's okay. I can deal without the cool music. And I'm like, this was a, a real tr struggle because I was so obsessed on getting people in here. I would come in, and if the seats weren't perfectly arranged, I'd come and like move all the different chairs. I would torture whoever was in this poor sound booth about like changing lighting and like this and this needs to be louder. I'm like just stressing over the experience week after week. And now we're left with basically our ministry in shambles, but a handful of people who really wanted to know God and to seek God. And we began to pursue. That was our first, as a ministry, the first revelation we'd had, like this first like word that came we fell directly from God, though it did not feel it like, it felt like a word from Satan at that moment, actually. Because like, we feel we've heard from God and we've completely vaporized our ministry. But that began the year of revelation for our ministry that we said, you know, we're going to just, the only thing that matters is that we hear from God. Iraq actually does not matter if the music's great. We want music to be good. It doesn't matter if people enjoy the, the free food we give, though we want to do that. What matters is if we're hearing from God. Are people actually connected to Jesus? Are they experiencing his presence? That's the only thing that matters. We have to hear his voice or we're wasting our time. And from that little group, we grew. But here's what was interesting is that if you came into this room as a first-time guest, you were in a small bunch that they were just charging after Jesus. And it completely changed the atmosphere. Super small, but the atmosphere had totally changed. Then 2012 came and God laid on our hearts that we need a revelation, but a revelation of our identity. And we came into this radical notion that we're sons and daughters of the Most High. What does that mean? What does it mean that you're a son of God? What does it mean that you're a daughter of God? We surely need to find out. Who are we in Christ? What am I about? These central issues. Because when you find out who you really are in Christ, everything changes. Everything. Nothing matters unless you know who you are in Christ. And so we sought and pursued that for the majority of the year, we even developed this five-fold ministry test that, that shows you by answering these, you know, nebulous questions about experiences. It points you in the direction of your gifting that says that everyone participates in ministry. And so we had radical transformations, and our ministry grew. 2012 was the year of identity. 2013... God revealed that it's not just about who we are, but whose we are. The second most important thing on knowing who we are in Christ is actually verifying, do we have a clear and correct picture of God himself? We are shocked to know the silly things that we believe about God's nature, his character. We repeat them all the time. They sound normal. And then we examine them in the scriptures and we say, actually, these things are wrong. 
The nature of God is not this and that, it's actually this. And we journeyed for about 12 weeks through God's character and his nature. And to this day, it's probably one of the most popular. I get emails all the time. We have 100 countries that listen to our podcast somehow. And regularly, this is the series that gets got brought up. This and another one that came the next year. And so we just said, God, we, got, we have to know who you are and what you're about. And so we had radical transformations that year that completely transformed our paradigm of who God is. 2013 was the year we discovered God's character and his nature, and our ministry grew. 2014, God put it on our hearts that now that we know God's nature and character, and we know who we are, that we have to confront the lies in our belief system. You'd be surprised at how much lies are actually built in the scriptures. Not because the scriptures are wrong, but because they've been fed to you wrong. Because someone has taken a passage of scripture out of context, twisted it, manipulated it, and used it against you. That there's so much things that we believe that because, oh, well, we think that God's that way, and so because the scripture seems to say that, and we say we're going to tackle every single difficult area in the scriptures we can find. We took on demon possession, why miracles don't happen, why some people don't get healed. We tackled, I mean, you name it. Like, no one who's paid to do this would ever do that. <laughs> Does God make you sick? Does God give you cancer? You just, like, took it on. It's amazing. So we had this year, 2014, of redeeming truth, confronting the lies in our faith. It's like surgery extracting these lies that are hidden in our faith. And our ministry grew. This is 2014. At this point, our leadership team is about 60 people crammed in our house. It's phenomenal. This is now the promised land of ministry. This is what you would dream of. We actually started writing a book because it was so mind-blowingly transformational. We couldn't believe it. We went from just having a ministry got vaporized to having all this fruit. We had the most incredible outpourings together as a community, and it was phenomenal. In 2015, God will tell you on a heart to do and start something, to be activated, to say, okay, if Christ lives in me, then I should be capable of some pretty awesome stuff. If Christ is living in me and empower me, and if he says, you'll do greater things than I did, then we better be doing some more things. And so we took on our potential, our outrageous calling, your outrageous ability to live in Christ and do incredible things. We explored radical generosity. We study what it means to have outrageous faith. We challenge you to go forth and do acts of kindness. It's a great year, but here's the thing, is that something else outrageous happened along the way in 2015. Is that we started graduating our community. In 2015, a lot of our community graduated. For the past four years, we'd watched our community grow up in the Lord. Seeing, as you heard Dale talk about, I hear God's voice, I pray with authority, I know who I am, I tell my emotions what to believe. I mean, you hear these like different layers, right? We, we watched these people be completely transformed. And we saw them get married, have kids. We set a lot of those people up. If you're single, by the way, this is a great place to be. <clears throat> I never performed a marriage in my life until this community. Now I've like performed like eight of them, I think, now. We watched them find careers. We watched them discover new callings. 
And in one year, we had almost two-thirds of our leadership in our community transition to the next phase of life. Wonderfully. That's how it's supposed to be. Every single one of you, one day here, is going to graduate transition from here. It's not a problem with that. It's wonderful. We, like, sent people off, like, you are fully equipped. You know the key, most powerful things to have the rest of your life work in the fruit of the Spirit and with authority of Christ. It doesn't matter where you go. That's funny because sometimes people like will run into people uh, these days and like they get like really awkward. It's like, I don't care if you go. Like, you know, it's like, I'm happy to see you, man. Like, I don't, I'm not counting attendance. Please come back. But no, I'm just like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, we're, we're here not to build an audience. We're here to make disciples. So if, so if you're fully equipped, I'm, I'm stoked. Do whatever you want. So the other outrageous thing about 2015 is as we saw that group transition, we actually had this amazing new group emerge. A lot of these faces I see in here, like, you guys are pretty new. We have this whole, like, bus from Elk Grove that comes in practically every week, I think. <laughs> I love my Elk Grove folks. <laughs> but as we were, and every week we get, you know, 10, 15 new people every week. The finest. We're the number one ranking search on Google, apparently. <clears throat> Just <laughs> saying. But as we're adding new people, we're also graduating people as well. And that's kind of hard. That's hard if you're like, you're used to kind of measuring fruit. It's like, oh, there's a lot of people being transformed. And so now the ratios are getting a little bit more challenging, if I can be honest. And we've had three generations in Epic Life so far. The first generation, those who wanted the events, the entertainment, the lights, the glitz, the chairs are perfectly arranged. The second generation was those who were hungry and pursued truth, growth, and love in amazing ways. And those who have entered in the promised land of the next phase of their life and of ministry. And today we have our third generation. You guys. This is the third generation for Epic and so I asked God for a word for this year. And I was talking to Ashley, and I, didn't, I was like, I must be hearing this wrong. Because this word doesn't make any sense. Because we've been there, we've done that, it makes zero sense to me. She's like, oh, well, I, I, you know, I listened to it last year. I really liked, you know, like I always look forward to hearing that. And I was like, all right. So I, I so, okay, I'll take this message I've already written, and I'll put it on the shelf. I'm going to seek out what is it about this word. And so reflecting on kind of our life is like, I wonder what the word says about the promised land. So I went to, to Joshua, and it's ironic that last year I started our series talking about Joshua crossing the Jordan River and about wading in the water and that having that boldness as you enter in the waters that are at flood stage and they, they come up with radical faith. And so I started looking at that and started um, studying the transition between you know, the Israelites being released from, from imprisonment with Egypt and into the Promised Land. Now, most people remember two generations of the nation of Israel. You have the one generation, they were enslaved. They then were released, and then they wandered, right? This is still one generation. And then the second generation that actually entered the Promised Land. We most tend to think of two generations in that kind of story. Those who were in bondage, those who entered the Promised Land. But there's actually a third generation of the Israelites in this story. And when I found out what happened next, the word made sense. 
So let me quickly walk you through the story in the Old Testament. We don't have the passages and screens up here, so I'm going to paraphrase it for you. So the promised land is the land that God promised the Israelites, the land of milk and honey, right? And the problem was that Israel was enslaved for 430 years to the Egyptians. For 430 years, they had the promise that they were going to have the land, but they were enslaved until Moses came along and liberated them. This is Exodus 14. So Moses leads the people out of slavery, performing miracles day and night. Remember uh, from the you know, felt board at Bible class, you know, the, the column of fire and the cloud and the manna that would drop and, and the provision that the nation of Israel would have in the wilderness. And they were en route to the promised land. The thing about the promised land is that it only was supposed to take them about seven days to get there. And you know the story that they wandered for 40. Why is that? It's because during the 40 years, they complained, they grumbled, they fought. They were being led with miracles, and yet they found a place and a time where they said, God is not with us. They questioned God's very existence. They, they, um, They demonstrate a lack of faith in the face of miracles when they should have be filled with faith. And so in response, God would not permit the complaining generation to enter the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb would be able to enter. But those of the second generation would be allowed, okay? It took them 40 years for the complaining generation to have nature take its course. Before the first generation was gone and the second generation would enter the promised land. Okay, right? So first generation, gone. God said, this first generation is like your first generation at Epic. Those who complained and wanted to be entertained. When that generation fell away, we were stripped with only the people who were there for the presence of God. The people who were there only for the promised land. And that we would move towards God. So God drew this great parallel between our ministry, our genesis of our ministry, with those who are complaining with our era when we were all about the events, all about the entertaining. And then the next generation of Israel was brought up. After the 40 years of all the complainers and grumblers and fighters dying, the second generation entered. Now you have to remember that these folks are the ones who entered the promised land, but they didn't like just waltz in like, yeah. They actually had to fight for the land. It's like gnarly passages and chapters. Like they, it was not like I'm cutting the ribbon, entering the promise, and they had to fight for it, okay? The promised land was like the land's yours, but you have to go take it. And so they fought, and they followed Joshua and Caleb across the Jordan River, and they pursued, and they received what their forefathers never had. Just like our ministry, our second generation, received what the prior never had. And God said to me that this second generation is like the community, this second generation community is like the second generation of Israel. Is that they hear God, they walk in truth, and they're powerful people. The people who have made up the middle era of our ministry, those are the people that enter the promised land. You know what happened in the time when the nation of Israel entered the promised land? After they were victorious, they divided it. They sent people to go get their inheritance. There was this massive 
diaspora, this massive spreading. Tribes go there, you know, they all took different areas and regions, and they moved on into their own territories. And God revealed to me that, like, what we've had in the past year where people are moving out, it's not that they're leaving, they're just occupying their inheritance now. The territories that have been marked for them this next phase of life, they're occupying the territories that have been promised to them. Just like the nation of Israel. Now what about the third generation? The third generation that is very hard to see in the scriptures, but it's there. The third generation of the nation of Israel. Now they were pretty much either born, entering in the promised land, or right before it. That means that they inherited something they didn't labor for. They walked into God's promises fulfilled without the fighting, the strife, and laboring for it because they're the third generation of their parents who were in their wilderness and who entered and who fought. And they inherited the land that was dreamt of. Here's the problem. Scandal broke out with the third generation. In Joshua 22, the third generation had a massive scandal. The sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of a word that looks like Manasseh. We'll go with that. <clears throat> now, what's unique about the third generation is they were separated by the Jordan River, which was different because when a river separates a nation, it's like a really significant divide. We'll, we'll find out what that means. Now, what did they do? What was the big scandal that the third generation did? Is they built an altar. They entered the promised land. They divided, gave each other's inheritance. The third generation gets some territory on the other side of the Jordan River, and they build an altar. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, but building an altar is kind of a big no-no. If it's not with the presence of God. So today, the presence of God is in us. Okay, we're all good with that. Back then, it's like in this one little thing that people carry around. And it goes into a tent. And there's one altar that's before the presence of God that is the one place that the sacrifices are being made. Every other time you see in the scriptures, the nation of Israel building an altar to cows, to other false gods, worshiping down to wooden carvings. You don't build an altar it's part of the reason that sin overtook the nation of Israel is because they built, you know, these sacrifices to other gods. So the third generation builds this altar, and it's in the same pattern as the nation of Israel is obedient to God and then disobeys, and then God disciplines them. It's this exact same pattern. So now the nation of Israel is in the promised land. We're pumped. We're stoked. And now the third generation has built an altar. The elders, the priests, they flip their lid. They gather their armies. They're like, we're going to extinguish these guys. How dare you? And they call them forth. You don't make an altar. You don't do sacrifices. What were you thinking? And this is what they say. I'm going to read this. This is the message, Joshua chapter 22. <clears throat> Check this out. This is the third generation speaking. It is not a rebellion. We did it because we cared. We were anxious lest someday your children should say to our children, you're not connected to God, the God of Israel. Because God made a, the Jordan a boundary between us 
and you have no part in God, and then your children might cause our children to quit worshiping God. So we said to ourselves, let's do something. Let's build an altar, but not for sacrifices. We built this altar as a witness between us and our children coming after us, a witness to the altar where we worship God in the sacred place. This way, your children won't be able to say to our children in the future that you have no part in God. We said to ourselves, if anyone speaks disparagingly to us or to our children in the future, we'll say, look at this model of God's altar which our ancestors made. It's not for sacrifices. It's a witness connecting us with you. Rebelling against or turning our backs on God is the last thing on our minds now. We never dreamed of building an altar to rival the altar of God in front of his sacred dwelling place. Did you catch that? The third generation was trying to honor God. They weren't trying to build another altar. And because they were in this other territory that had the river dividing it, they said, we want to make sure that when people see us, they know we love God. So we want to make sure that when people encounter us, they know that we're of the nation of Israel, that we love the God of Israel. And the elders, the priests, they rejoiced. It was the perfect answer. Here's what we can learn about this, is that the third generation, they weren't rebelling. They're actually honoring God. They knew what truth looked like but didn't know how to show it in the correct way. It almost got them killed. Why? It's because they had seen all the great things their forefathers had done. The community was based on tradition, and they just thought they were following tradition. They knew the right outcome. They didn't know the process, the reason why. They didn't know the things that made it significant because they had inherited something that the rest had labored for it. Meaning they never worked for the breakthrough that they just took possession of. Is this making sense? The third generation received something they didn't labor for, wanted to honor God, doing the right thing, right? You heard them, they, they, we want to be known to love the God of Israel. They just expressed it in a way that was incorrect. They meant to build a monument, they accidentally built an altar. And the tribes and priests said, oh, cool with us, just don't make sacrifices there. And they named it Witness. So what was Joshua's response? Because Joshua's the leader. Are you guys still tracking? Joshua gathered all the people, the third generation, he got them together, and he went through all the breakthroughs of the nation of Israel. He started over. He's like, you've inherited something you didn't labor for. And that's great. But let me tell you what you stand upon so that you can have value, so you can appreciate, so you can take hold of it yourself, so you can lay claim of it as your own, not just simply receiving, but also laboring to some degree for it. And that you can celebrate the breakthrough of Israel as you enjoy the inheritance. And then he died. Here's the point is you can't leave the new generation behind. We've got eight years into this thing. 
And sometimes it's easy just like, oh, we, you know, Christ's life and this and circles of covenant. And we can take for granted really easily what we've labored over years for. And what God showed me in this third generation is that, that we have a third generation here. We are now a third generation. It's not like there's part of us like this is our third generation and we cannot leave this generation behind. And if you are a part of Epic now, you might be checking us out for the first time. But if you're part of Epic, you're actually standing on top of eight years of pursuing, of seeking, of laboring, and sacrificing to have what we have here. You don't know why some things are the way they are. They just seem to be. It's there for a reason. So if you feel like sometimes, like, a common response is like, I just feel like other people are more mature in their faith. Like, they have, like, they're deeper than me. It's like, well, they are. (laughs) They worked really hard. They've worked really, they've worked for years on their life going through these breakthroughs that we've had. Some of these people, they've worked five, six years. I mean, Dale talks about eight years, you know? But here's what God showed me in this. He's like, what God took five or six years for some people, he's going to take you this year through one. Other people's labor and breakthrough over many years is now ours actually to provide it and experience it in one. And so what God said is to take our community, our third generation, back through our breakthrough so that we all can possess the same breakthrough from the past. Because to sustain intimacy through the generations, you cannot leave the new generation behind. And that's what the word for the year is, is breakthrough. Now, you can see why that didn't make sense. He's like, well, we've had breakthrough. <laughs> Too many years of it, actually. And what we're going to do in 2016, what does that mean for us, is that we're actually going to journey through the breakthroughs we've been defined by over the past years. I went back through our history, and I found the nights, the topics, the events, like, like the nights we had that were these life-altering, shattering revelations, like they're ingrained in my memory. And so we're going to, we found those nights, we found those like key moments. Because you know like in the Bible when God does a great miracle, they like build a stack of rocks. <laughs> you know? Like it's funny, like in our ministry, we have a memory of those nights and these little testimonies that we have. And so it took us two generations to obtain revelation. It took us two generations to obtain the character of God, the identity that you are in Christ. About redeeming truth and, and this year, we're going to go through it. And we're going to take our breakthroughs and we're going to walk in it together. Does that mean it's kind of like the best hits playlist? Absolutely. <laughs> it's like your favorite playlist that you've never heard about ready to play. doesn't mean we're just going to simply repeat, but we're going to go back through the things about who we are in Christ. Do you hear the voice of God? You know, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 31 says, All can prophesy. You should be able to speak in existence what is on God's heart and mind. We've done it. We know it. Many of us walk in it. Do you know that you have the mind of Christ and how to use it and what that means? We're going to go through it. So I'm really excited about this year because it's, it's all the things that I looked through in the past eight years. I'm like, we get to go through it together. We're going to journey through all the key things, all the most incredible things, and being activated for God's voice and being activated in the prophetic and counting God's heart, dismantling the lies and revealing truth together. And I promise you, if you 
Stick with us this year. I guarantee you this will be the greatest year transformation of your life. We're going to sow into the breakthrough that we've reaped prior to your generation, and we're going to walk through it together. It's going to be fantastic. I promise you that. So if you stick with us this year, if you want to have an amazing year where you send your faith, your walk, your relationship with God, hearing God's voice, if that turns you on, you're here. If that doesn't, you don't have a switch. I love you guys so much. Thank you for being here tonight.